0: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid
1: doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, July 11th. I'm Ezra Wall. This is MPB. Uh, This is Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. Today on the show, Mississippi Secretary of State is upholding his vow to protect voter information, yet some say personal data is already exposed. It's quite a bit
0: different between me and Louisiana and Alabama and Tennessee sharing our information and then destroying it from sending it to a Washington commission where they said all information was going to be public.
1: In our StoryCorps segment, a conversation with two friends on their unique paths to Mississippi, and the Mississippi Opioid and Heroin Drug Summit begins today. Hear from an author whose book about the epidemic is raising awareness about the crisis. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman is reiterating he will not share Mississippi voter information with a presidential commission. Despite his statement, some in the state are disappointed with what information is shared. Hoseman, a Republican, says some voter information has been shared with a program that determines if people are registered to vote in multiple states. Mississippi is included in the Interstate Voter Registration Cross-Check Program. 30 states send voter information to a secure database to monitor if people are registered in more than one state. Democratic State Representative Jay Hughes says sharing voter information compromises Mississippians' privacy. Representative Hughes tells MPB's Alexis Ware he originally supported Hosman's statement.
2: My thoughts originally were great statement. I'm glad. And I was proud that he was taking that position. And uh, then it was brought to my attention that that wasn't accurate.
3: What was brought to your attention?
2: The fact that we are participating in a system called Interstate Cross Check, and that the Secretary of State has been sharing private voter information with 29 or 30 other states for the last nine years. So the reality was that we are sharing data already. Granted, it's not the commission, but I struggle with that. When we say that it's an encrypted or secure, how do we know that? We're just relying on what someone's telling us. I'm sure the FBI, the IRS, and Gmail all thought that their stuff was pretty secure before they were breached. And what's been represented is that the last four digits of the social security number are encrypted or just have symbols instead of numbers. And that may be the intent, but it's not the reality, as I have been in several counties and looked at the actual data that is being sent to them through this cross-check, and your and my last four digits of Social Security numbers are there.
3: How recently was this?
2: This one's about six months old, and as Secretary Hosman said, it's been being shared every year for the last nine years, and just in our county alone, they got back 9,000 hits, and so that means they got data for four thousand five hundred Mississippians and four thousand five hundred people from other states who had similar first name and last name. As a result of that, those states shared with us and we shared with them their home address, their date of birth, the last four of their social security number, when they registered to vote and when the last time they voted. It is a real issue. This very weekend the National Association of Secretary of States met and held a conference on voter fraud and their concern about russian attempts to interfere with the election the ability for people to hack into voter data and they expressed in indianapolis at their meeting that they had doubts whether they could implement adequate security measures that they could adopt before the 2018 elections to safeguard against the possibility of foreign governments interfering in our elections so the very thing that secretary hosman did was say he wouldn't share information already has.
3: What is the connection with the current presidential administration? Is there a connection there?
2: The biggest connection there is that the person in charge of this is Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach. And Chris Kobach is the one who founded and operates the interstate cross-check system, which we've been giving to every year.
3: So then is your issue the comment made, or are you concerned about the information being shared?
2: Well, I'm concerned with both. I'm concerned with a lack of transparency and candidness. We all owe a duty to tell the people what we're doing with their data, with their tax dollars, everything, complete transparency. I think the proper comment should have been made that said, we are not going to share the information. The reason is we are already sharing your voter data with 30 other states, and we have found no evidence of fraud and have not prosecuted a single case of it in Mississippi in the nine years. So we don't believe there's any reason we ought to be sharing it with the Presidential Commission. Then I have a problem with sharing it with other states. There are other measures that we have that are mechanisms to handle the voter fraud issue and, and they're not even being done as they were set up to do within our own state.
3: What are some of the other mechanisms?
2: To have the Department of Health mandate that they send the information from death certificate to the home county of every person that dies in Mississippi. Number two would be that the administrator of courts, which oversees all criminal convictions, for any disenfranchisement cases, that they automatically go to every county where the person lives so you know if someone's been disenfranchised. Those are two easy ways that we clean the voter rolls of deceased people and convicted felons of disenfranchisement cases. Clearly, I trust the counties here in this state and the ones that I deal with every day, I know them. I know where my information is. But I don't know where it is or which of these other 30 states that the secretary has given it to.
3: Representative Jay Hughes, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank
2: you.
1: For his part, Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman tells Alexis where the program hasn't seen problems since it started.
0: At least since 2009 and probably before that up to 2005, <clears throat> The uh, we have been matching uh, with Louisiana, Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, our, our surrounding states. Uh, people who have moved to that state and uh, have the same information as we have. And our goal there was to make sure that the individuals did not vote twice. We send an uh, encrypted message to the Secretary of State of Arkansas. <clears throat> he takes that. They download it to, uh, and it's on a secure site, and they download it in Kansas and compare all the 29 states are now in this. And uh, then it is sent back and encrypted back to us. Our information technology individuals have been right on top of this, as well as all the other 29 states, to make sure there's no leaking of information. And the only information that is shared between the states is where you have double registered, where you've registered to vote in Arkansas and you're also registered to vote in Mississippi. That allows us to inform those individuals, which state do you live in and where should you be voting? which is what we're required to do under Mississippi law. And, and, and in fact, if they've moved to Arkansas and started voting there, uh, we, we provide them a notice and two federal elections later we'll purge them from the voter rolls.
3: So the argument has been made then that your statement was misleading since some information is shared. What is your response to that?
0: No, it's, it's daylight and dark. Um, our information is matched on a secure site with another one, and after the matching, it is destroyed. So nobody has Mississippi's voter records but the Secretary of State's office. And that process has worked for a number of years uh, with very careful security protocols. It's quite a bit different between me and Louisiana and Alabama and Tennessee sharing our information and then destroying it from sending it to a Washington commission uh, where they said all information was going to be public. In addition to that, I have a bedrock, and that, that is the rights of the state to run their elections. Uh, I have fought that with voter ID with the Justice Department and everybody else. Uh, we're not going to have our information sent to some commission in Washington where I'm not sure it'll be protected.
3: A state representative has brought up the issue that the person in, that leads the cross-check program is also involved with this Washington commission. Mm-hmm. Do you see how that could be cause for concern?
0: We have a strict confidentiality agreement among the 29 states and a, and a contract between all of us, and it's worked all, all along. And I don't think that you'll find other secretaries of state now over 40-something states have refused this personal information. I mean, it's unanimous, bipartisan and every every kind of political stripe. So I don't think you'll find them asking for information on your private on your private social security number and date of birth, in your military service, that kind of thing that was all in that first letter.
3: Are there other options other than sharing the files with this group of Secretary of State?
0: <clears throat> we then started a process where we have been in conversation with other secretaries of state around here, uh, Alabama, Tennessee, Louisiana, and others, about what we could do. And What we would hope the commission would do is allow us to keep our voter rolls sacred, first of all, or under our direct control, and then second of all, to furnish us information from the Department of Homeland Security. Generally speaking, we believe that if we were given adequate information on illegals that were in this country, we could check those against the voter rolls. I'm already doing that with a uh, driver's license where people say they're not a, not a resident of the United States. We already check those against the voter rolls. But I'd like to reach out broader than that, and that would allow us to keep the integrity of the systems here and also have some information to keep illegals from voting in Mississippi, which is one of our goals and, and which is the president's goal, which we support.
3: Using this interstate cross-check program, Mississippi voter information is completely safe.
0: It is because it's all been destroyed in prior years. Our system has multiple firewalls now, and, and now I've encrypted our voting rolls. So it would be almost impossible. I guess it's not, nothing's impossible in information age, but almost impossible to get our voting rolls. So nobody has our voter rolls today, and I have no intention of giving them to to them. And it's also encrypted for another reason, which is if somebody breaks into our system, as I just told you, uh, probably 2,000 times a, a month, people are trying to break into our system. So we want to make sure if they do break in, they, they can't use the information. So we've encrypted it long before this uh, cross-match issue came up. We've been encrypting our, our
1: material here in Mississippi.
3: Secretary of State Delbert Hoesman, thank you so much for speaking with me. Well,
1: thank you. We appreciate the opportunity to visit. Of course, the whole thing may turn out to be a moot point as the federal panel overseeing the election probe has asked states to hold off on submitting the voter information because they're involved in a pending lawsuit. In other news on today's big story, officials say the U.S. military plane used for refueling crashed into a field in rural Mississippi, killing at least 16 people aboard and spreading debris for miles, creating a fiery wreckage. Laflore County Emergency Management Agency Director Frank Randall told reporters at a late Monday briefing that 16 bodies have been recovered after the KC-130 spiraled into the ground. Marine Corps spokesperson Captain Sarah Burns says in a statement the aircraft, quote, experienced a mishap monday evening but provided no details a witness said some bodies were found more than a mile from the crash site it's not been confirmed whether any victims were civilians no word yet on what caused the crash or where the flight originated mpb news is following that story and will bring you updates as we get it coming up a conversation in our story Corps segment this is mississippi edition on mpb think radio Your home for the arts and music
2: is
0: MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. This is...
1: So what happens when two friends, one from Minnesota and one from California, show up at a StoryCorps booth in Mississippi? If it's Cass Welchlin and Thomas Price, they talk about how they got here.
4: John Perkins is a a rural organizer for the civil rights movement who was rural Mississippi. He had been lynched, and he became a a believer after his 5-year-old son and led him to Christ. He was lynched, but he survived. He gave his life to Christ, and then he ended up, going on to do some really amazing things. When I came down here in 98, his son died right when I got there, right just before I got here. So the whole family was tore up. John Perkins says, you know, we're going to start over this project in West Jackson, help the community here. We're going to do some programs for kids, some after-school programs. We're going to do this and that. We're going to have some baseball diamonds here. We're going to have a basketball court. We're going to do something for some kids. I'm like, hey, I'm, sign me up. Okay, just back up for a second because you're skipping... A very, very interesting part.
0: And oh, yeah, that's how, I got here. how you
4: got here. Yeah, well, she told me about this guy that I go need to go check out. So I started to make a plan to go and I was like, Well, you know, I need some solitude. So I need like two weeks of solitude. So I'm like, either I'm gonna boat down here, like kayak down the Mississippi. Which is like way more deadly than it sounds. Yeah. That's I didn't do it. I took a bicycle. I, I took me. a bicycle instead. Okay, so, you- so uh, in October in Minnesota, I <laughs> got on my bicycle. My mom thought I was crazy. She says she cried so much because she's I bicycle from North Minneapolis through the city all the way down to Pryor Lake where she's on the south side of Minneapolis, and then I'm like stay the night there, and then I packed up my gear and it was cold. It was so cold that day. She followed me out to where I was gonna leave. She started crying because I was gonna take off. But eleven and a half days later, I showed up in Jackson. On a, a bicycle. On a bicycle, yeah. Now, your goal was to get to Mississippi, or was yeah. it just like, oh, this is, I've had it. I can't do this anymore. No, I, yeah, it was a little of both. Goal to miss. I got to go to Mississippi, but it was more, I've had it with this banking life more, you know, not that I, I wanted to go see John Perkins, because somebody well, no, told I mean me like about, you, you yeah, in Minneapolis, this lady it. told me about John Perkins, so I said, go take a look at him. I said, okay, I'll go down there. I'm not going to take a plane. I'm not going to drive. I'll just, I'll bicycle down there. Right. You know. I had no real vision on how I was going to get there or stay there or what I was going to do. I just figured I'd get into the city each night and I'd find somebody. Some do gooder. <laughs> like the first two nights, I was my butt was so sore, man. I was getting a. I got a hot tub and a jacuzzi in my room, and I'm like, look, I got it. I I need a room with a jacuzzi. <laughs> so I got a hotel, but then I like, I don't have enough money to do this. Ten more days. How, how much money did you have when you went? Like probably six hundred bucks. <laughs> six hundred bucks a bicycle. How many nights did it take? It would be eleven nights. Eleven nights. Yeah. So you basically just got on a bicycle hoping Somebody that money would, wouldn't run out. Yeah. So I told the people in my church, I'm like, hey, guess what? Um, if you know anybody, like in any city south of here, uh, let me know. <laughs> it was so crazy. So uh, yes. I don't remember how I found the people I did, but I remember that was a part of the biggest part of the adventure is I just showed up. First city was Waterloo, Iowa, then Keokuk, Iowa, then Quincy, Illinois, then St. Louis finally. When I got to St. Louis, I called up to Minneapolis and I I said, does anybody up there know anybody in St. Louis? And somebody happened to know, like the superintendent of uh, the United Methodist Church or some of the bishop. I don't know what role he had, but he hooked me up with like half of the rest of the way down to Mississippi united methodist churches so i went in there tried to find somebody sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't i slept on couches i slept on a park bench i slept on a police station i slept in a hotel paid for by a police station i slept in uh strangers houses probably four times i slept on a pew three or four times I had, so you uh, were a bum baby. something like that yeah right like, it was
1: a, it was awesome to hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour go to mpbonline.org the StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council the MPB Foundation and Mississippi Public Broadcasting This is Mississippi edition on mpb think radio i 'm Ezra Wall for Karen Brown today. Some Mississippians will hear staggering statistics on drug use across the state this week. The Mississippi Opioid and Heroin Drug Summit is underway with the goal of raising educational uh, awareness about the crisis, extending through Wednesday. The educational opportunity may change attitudes toward taking pills. You may have heard brand names like Demerol, Oxycontin, Percocet, Vicodin, street names like Perks, Demis, Dillies. These are all opioids. When access to prescriptions dry up, people buy pills on the street. Until they become too expensive, then they turn to heroin, which is a cheaper opioid. Many overdose. Last year, 211 people in Mississippi overdosed on drugs, many of those from opioids. Sam Quinones is a journalist and author of the book about the opioid epidemic called Dreamland. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he started by exploring a rise in heroin use in 2009.
5: Behind that change was a massive change in going on for 20 years by that point in how we treated pain and a new uh, acceptance of very aggressive prescribing by doctors of opiate painkillers that before had really not enjoyed such popularity among doctors. And on the contrary, doctors viewed them as very scary drugs and used very, very sparingly. That changed really in the mid-1990s and through the next decade or so or more to the point where people were getting sent home large bottles of these drugs uh, with the admonition, take as needed, or don't worry, this is something you're going to need, and if you need any refills, come on back. Well, that was a radical change from what had been the case 10, 12 years prior.
3: And so now we're in the midst of an opioid epidemic.
5: Yes, because I paid attention to Mexico Mexico is a major, major player, probably the major player in drug trafficking in America. This does not, in fact, start with Mexico. It starts with doctors, pharmaceutical companies, um, attitudes among American health consumers that we just want quick solutions to our very complicated pain problems. Uh, it's a complicated story, but it starts really here first. And then traffickers from Mexico figure it out. But it's really a unique story in the history of America where you get a drug problem starting not with drug mafias or street dealers or what have you, but with legal medical doctors prescribing legal drugs for people who uh, go believing that this will help their pain.
3: You talked about the attitudes of people that we want a quick fix, a silver bullet for everything that ails us.
5: Part of what happened was Americans wanted easy. We wanted to kick back, you know, and have it, uh, you know, just have fun. And so part of that manifested itself in in our approach to our bodies and health and wellness and pain. And we began to to say, I don't want to have to work hard to be well, to not feel pain, to, to be fit. Truth is, you just have to. You know, you have to pay attention to what you eat. You have to go without certain kinds of foods. You have to refuse to eat certain kinds of foods at all. You have to get exercise. You have to walk. You have to, you know, swim. And I think, by and large, uh, a lot of us didn't want to do that. This was a rise of uh, the problem of obesity in America during these years, you remember. Uh, It was also a time when we kind of believed in fantasy, I think. It was also a time when we didn't want hard. We didn't want complicated. We didn't want difficult choices. We wanted to have it easy. And so that is really what got us here, if you ask me.
3: And so now you're here in Mississippi talking about this issue that's facing so many states. You said there's not one solution.
5: No, I don't believe there is one solution. Uh, that was the problem that got us into this. We believed in one answer to all pain, of all, in all individuals, at all times, and, and look where it got us. It got us into some pretty catastrophic consequences. We need to understand it took a long time to get us into this problem, and it takes patience, it takes work, it takes bringing together people who have never really worked together sometimes, and we don't do that enough. We were so isolated in our country, and we're so siloed that I think that that is also part of this, and working to bridge... Bridging between uh, public health workers and police officers, it's a huge thing to do. And that's happening. But that's kind of what I mean. You know, you need people to come together. And through that, I call it kind of a mosaic of solutions will be formed. A lot of them very small. A lot of them may not work. So you discard them. You, you, but you're trying them. You're trying stuff. And that's, I think, down that path An eventual light at the end of this very dark tunnel right now.
3: You talked about the white, middle-class, upper-class in regard to this issue. Can you just talk about that a little bit?
5: The vast majority of of the people affected are white. Um, It's all white, but it's low-income whites, middle-class whites, upper-class whites. All of those folks, I think, are one reason why it was unnoticed for so long, because a lot of those folks never wanted anyone to know that someone in their family, a brother or a son or daughter, was affected by this. It was uh, embarrassing. There was enormous stigma that went along with it. And I think one of the reasons this, this thing stayed silent for so long was that. So the very folks whose stories might have been most potent in galvanizing public attention were the folks who were quiet. Seriously, it still feels to me like there's not enough... Urgency, I guess is the, is the word I would use. Not, not enough urgency with regard to this.
3: Thank you so much. Appreciate oh, your my time. My
5: pleasure. My pleasure.
1: That's MPB's uh, Desiree Frazier with uh, author uh, uh, Sam Quinones. And if you're interested in that summit, you can find more information at drugsummit.com. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks at 10 o'clock in legal terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of today's show? Find past episodes of this and any other Think Radio program online at mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Ezra Wall for Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow at 8.30 for Mississippi Edition, and it's only right here on MPB Think Radio.
0: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu.